the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. My name's Ellie Greening. And my name's Sandra Patel-Stewart. On this podcast, we will be interviewing some of the UK's greatest tech leaders. We'll be discussing war stories, battle scars, and their learnings from their journeys. Hopefully, you will pick up some great tips, learn from others' experiences, and have a good laugh along the way. Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. So we have a fantastic guest lined up for you today, everyone. So we have the honour of spending the afternoon with Surat Pederedla, who is the CEO at Hedgehog Lab. So I'm sure many of you are aware of the brand, but if you're not, Hedgehog Lab are the number one global mobile app agency who are based in the north of England. They help global brands design, build and launch digital products on mobile, web and connected platforms. So they work with some huge brands, the likes of Deliveroo, Microsoft, Mitsubishi, Santander, Eon, Lloyd's, Toyota and many more. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Sarah. It's so lovely to meet you. Thank you for having me, Ali. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, I can't wait to hear your story. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. It's great to have you on the show, um, Sarat. And I've heard, heard lots of um, interesting things about you and great things about you already um, by some of your team, um, which, is, um, which is always good to hear because um, obviously shows that you're doing something right internally with, with culture and, and the people as well. Um, so first of all, I'd really like to hear more and, and the listeners, it'd be good for the listeners and the viewers to hear more about your story, your journey and how you got into tech, how it all started. Um, I saw that, actually saw um, that you did a software engineering degree and you went to Southampton University. I nearly ended up at Southampton. Um, went to Manchester in the end to do business IT, but um, so it was interesting in that I um, saw that you then quite quickly entered into your technical career. So it'd be great to get more of an understanding of how you, why you decided to do software engineering and then what happened between then and now. And um, obviously you're an amazing CEO now, so it'd be great to know more about your story. Thank you. No, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you, you know, you're saying, obviously, you you found out that um, I went into software engineering. I actually landed in software engineering inadvertently. The plan wasn't necessarily to do software engineering when I was younger. Um, I, I grew up in India, in the southeast of India, in a place called Hyderabad. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you grow up in India, there's only kind of two real jobs you can have as, as far as your parents are concerned. You can either be a doctor or you can be an engineer. Um, and <laughs> I, funnily, when I was young, chose to be a doctor. You know, I, I had a real passion to be a doctor when I was oh. young. Um, and um, in, if you look at my LinkedIn profile, actually it says I nearly ended up being a brain surgeon because that's what I wanted to be. You know, that, that was oh. my passion growing up uh, when I was young. So um, I got into pre-med school in India. So funnily, when I was training for pre-med school in India when I was 15, 14, 15, um, wow. My dad got me my first com- first computer, I, I, and the focus of the computer was really to help me study for my med school mm-hmm. and my pre-med, my SATs and all those kind of things. Um, and I, I, it was the first time in my life I'd ever touched a computer. I think I was about 14 or something. 
Um, and I was preparing for my med school and I got obsessed. I got obsessed with the computer. I, within, within three months, I taught myself C, C++. Um, wow. I was building websites, you know, in, in, in the late 90s. And it was just, it just turned into a pattern. Um, but, but it wasn't always the plan, you know. I mean, the plan was to be a doctor. Yeah. Ah, amazing. Yeah. So, 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 so from my perspective, you know, when I got into that computer, when, you know, when my dad, when my dad bought me that, mm-hmm. um, I taught myself programming and then I just found a renewed new passion in the, in the industry. Um, so when I was about 17, just as I, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd win my pre-meds and I got mm-hmm. into med school actually. And I was two months into med school. Um, I turned around to my dad and said, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. I want to be a soft. <laughs> How I, did I, that go down? <laughs> um, like a lead balloon I, the <laughs> I can imagine I've been there I, I, to an I, basically, I basically crushed the dreams of all my ancestors so my dad probably you know I'm, I'm surprised you didn't just roll out the family portraits about the amount of people I disappointed um, <laughs> and, and, and but I think the real challenge was so it's interesting I'm saying you know the Southampton and, and, and East of Engineering both have a story mm-hmm. there because again, the other thing is when, you know, the other thing about Indian parents is not only is it about being engineer or doctor, but you've got to go to Ivy League universities, right? You've yeah. got to either be in, you've got to be in Harvard, Stanford, etc. It's got to so, be the so, best. <laughs> exactly. So, so where I grew up in Southeast India, we, we've got a big uh, American diaspora. So the thinking was always, I would go to med school in America, I'd go to Stanford or I'd go to Harvard, etc. Um, wow. and, and the problem was I was preparing in my, in my what, what in India is an equivalent of, uh, of, 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 you know, an A-levels, O-levels. I was preparing all my courses were around biology and, and, and medical related, you know, courses. Um, so when I decided to pivot to software engineering or do computers, I didn't have the qualifications to get into the SATs and into the, uh, into the Harvards or the Stanfords or the MITs. Um, you know, because I, I didn't have a maths, you know, I didn't have maths because I took biology. Uh, in India, there's a, like an MPC and a BIPC courses. So I had a biology course. Um, so I didn't qualify to get into. So that was my second disappointment for my father, because now I couldn't get into MIT or, you know, Stanford. Um, so, you know, we, we were kind of going, well, my, my dad said, well, what are you going to do? You can't get into a good university. And while that was happening, we used to live in Dubai, actually, you know, in, in, in the three years before I, before I moved here. And uh, the British Council there had a career stay. And uh, uh, the career stay was, you know, pretty much, you know, all the universities come in, et cetera. And my dad said, mm-hmm. okay, maybe if you can't get into uh, MIT or, or, or anywhere like that, maybe see if you can get into Oxford or Cambridge. And <laughs> so, we, so we went to, we went to um, the British Council thing and turns out obviously I couldn't get into Oxford or Cambridge because they also require you if you want to do computer science to, to, to have a maths background. Um, and, and, and we were looking around and, and, and I know it sounds awful because, you know, Salam is my alma mater and I absolutely admire the place. But I go into Southampton because it was the only place that would allow me to get into it without mm-hmm. having a, 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 a maths, you know, maths uh, qualification, really. So we kind of went, well, what do you need to get into software engineering here? And it's like, well, you don't need maths. I was like, that's great. You know, that, that's where <laughs> Take I'm Take me out, home. <laughs> Absolutely. So the two things that attracted me to Southampton was that it had great parks. So they had an induction video where the parks were just incredible. And I thought... I've got the two criteria here. There's great places to hang out. 
and I can get in without maths. Mm-hmm. So I decided that's where I would go. Um, and, and so in answer to you saying, you know, Southampton was where you nearly went, I very nearly did not go to Southampton because that wasn't the plan. Um, yeah. So I ended, I ended up as an immigrant in Southampton in, uh, you know, the 1998, 99 uh, to, to do the software engineering degree. But obviously by then I was, you know, I was absolutely committed to software. You know, it is what I wanted to do in my mm-hmm. first year mm-hmm. course. Um, academically, I shown, you know, I was getting like 94, 95% in my first year, um, you know, results. I, I, I was absolutely obsessed with computers. But the problem was, as much as I was obsessed with computers and technology, I wasn't necessarily obsessed with the university and school. Um, I found school quite frustrating. I found uh, that, you know, the, the first year there are things I was being taught, data structures. And I, I learned this as a 14-year-old, mm. you know, staying up until 4 a.m. Um, so I kind of really struggled at university, mostly because it wouldn't keep my attention. And, and that's where I really got into the business side of things. I used to do mm-hmm. a lot of freelance. I used to do a lot of freelancing. I used to do a lot of um, kind of, you know, freelance work with, uh, with, 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 with people, you know, that wanted computer programs because I just felt like I should be practicing my trade and not learning from books. Um, and, and I got obsessed with business and, and, and really that's, that's kind of what led to me, you know, getting into the business side of the world. Um, and I finished university and I actually founded my first company, um, so I was an immigrant at that time. So the UK was offering something called the Innovators Visa. Um, mm-hmm. When I had this grand plan to create the next Salesforce, uh, well, at that time, Salesforce wasn't a thing. So mm-hmm. uh, b- because I was an engineer at heart, I thought I built a great software program to do customer relationship management, sales management, and I'll be a billionaire in three years. You know, I was a, I was a young 19, <laughs> I, was, I was a young 19, 20 year old, and I was very passionate. So I started my first business, which effectively got me staying in the UK. So I came as a student. I ended up staying as an innovator under an entrepreneurial visa. And that first business failed horribly because the approach, the approach I took to it was, um, I'm a great engineer. Any software, I, I, you know, I'll build a billion dollar piece of software and, and people will buy it and, you know, mm-hmm. it'll become the biggest. But the problem was when you're 19, 20, you don't realize that there is so much more to doing a business um, than, 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 than just writing great software. And finally, mm. that, that's all I did. I wrote go to some great software. I couldn't sell it. I couldn't, um, you know, I, I, did, I didn't even have a business plan. I didn't have forecasts. I was just living on kind of beans and toast. Um, <laughs> and it was very much, it, it was very much a bad move. And so that kind of business just went away and I did it by myself and I learned a lot of lessons from it a couple of years later. You know, it was an online tool. It wasn't selling um, and while that was happening, I took up a lot of freelancing and I was doing a lot of, you know, consulting because I had skills in basically building web apps and websites. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and while that was happening, I met my wife currently, my current wife um, down south. Um, and, and she lived in Newcastle, you know, because that, this is where she's from. Um, and I remember, you know, when, when we decided, you know, that we're going to live together and we're going to get married. Um, you know, I said, great, you know, when are you moving to Southampton? And then she turned around and said, no, I, I thought you're moving to Newcastle. And I said, shouldn't we have decided this, you know, well past, you know, it, it's a bit late. And she said, well, it's, it's your choice. It's either Newcastle or divorce. And I thought maybe I'll put... Maybe, so you are maybe. already married and you well, haven't yeah. decided where to live. 
<laughs> well, I mean, no, we are, we, we, no, because we, like I said, we, we, we were living in Southampton at that time, but the idea was that in her head, she wanted to permanently move back to Newcastle. Back. So, so <laughs> Newcastle's so, great though. Well, so the first thing I said to her is Newcastle, like, I, I can't use the word on a podcast, but it was something whole. And I said, you know, it's such a, it's, it's such a, it, 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 who, who, who would ever live in Newcastle? I said, I don't know. I, I, my husband's my from Newcastle too. <laughs> right. So, 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 I mean, for, for me, I mean, I lived in the South Corridor. I used to live in Hampshire. Um, mm. I used to travel to London to meet my clients, etc. Mm. Newcastle was a whole different world to me. Yeah. Um, but, but like I said, so I moved, I moved in 2004, 2005 uh, to, to be with my wife. And the big challenge was I moved here and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know the industry. So I had to, so I got my only, I had a job for two years in my life, a real job. Um, mm-hmm. And that was my only job. And I had to get the job because I had no choice. I had no network here. All my network was in Hampshire and in, and in yeah. London, etc. So I ended up getting a job, which was my first job at an agency called Think, um, who, who are now being, uh, you know, they're, they're still in Newcastle. They've been bought out by EPAM. Um, and, and it was a great time. You know, we had a couple of years there. It was one of the fastest growing agencies. And really, that really kind of encouraged me to start thinking about mm-hmm. setting up my own business and, and the kind of things that we wanted to do. And I, I was there, I think, for a year, year and a half. I was a really bad employee. I just wasn't suited to being a, 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 an employee. You weren't I, I to just being employed and managed by the sound Yeah. I mean, I have to be candid because when I was younger, I used to think, you know, the problems that I had at Think were because, you know, my, my bosses were bad or it was bad management. But actually, now I reflect on it, I think I was just a really bad person to manage. You know, I, <laughs> I, 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 I didn't like the structures. You know, I was, I was always an entrepreneur. I wouldn't do anything. You know, I'd have a lot of good ideas, et cetera, but I'd always work outside the boundaries of what was allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I fully empathize. Now I'm having to manage people. I fully empathize with the challenges my managers would have gone through just trying to get, because I was talented, but then, you know, mm-hmm. they had to manage me. So... And while I was there, I met my co-founder, Mark, and, you know, over many lunches, we decided we're going to go ahead and do this ourselves. And that's Mm -hmm. how, you know, we set up Hedgehog Lab. Fantastic. So, um, so you set that up how many years ago? 13 years ago in 2007. Yeah, Yeah. amazing. Um, So tell us a little bit more about the, um, the journey that you took at the start, because obviously, and yeah, I think it's great that you've had such an interesting background. You t- told that story brilliantly as well. Um, and I think it's great that you openly, um, what I really loved about that story is that you're very open and authentic. You know, you, you, you set up a business or tried to set up a business when you were much younger. Um, you know, you're open and honest about um, how that business failed, but you've learned from that. Um, and then obviously you worked for another business and you were employed for a couple of years, which was a big kind of, I guess, shock to the system for you. Um, but again, you probably, that would have reinforced everything that you probably already knew that you wanted to go on and do bigger and better things and have something of your own, build something of your own. It'd be really interesting, I think, for a lot of our um, listeners and viewers who we reach out to that are probably in... Um, similar situations to what you were in previously 
as to how you how the first few years for you you know how that went for you what challenges you experienced what problems and pain areas you had and and how you kind of overcame those to to get to where you are today yeah no i i think that's a really good question so um actually to tell you how i did that i need to tell you how i founded the company um i decided mm-hmm. we've been thinking we've been talking about finding the company for a long time actually uh, it'll lead to the point you know how i managed the first few years um it, it was overnight i woke up in the morning i resigned uh, and i came home and i told my wife i'd resigned um and she said we haven't talked about this i mean and and <laughs> I, I i talked to her about generally what i'd like to do uh, we, we we had a mortgage we we didn't have you know we i was at that time when i when i founded the company i was 25 25 and a half you know when when i was mm-hmm. i was just quite young you know we'd only got married a year and a half you know just before you know i moved here um and we just bought a new house etc and i said i've just resigned and she said what what are we going to do you know how how are we going to live you know because you know we've got fund loans etc and 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 i guess that probably sets the precedent to some of the things i did when i was young because it wasn't really rational i felt like it was the right time um and we created the company and it was it was very tough you know at 25 and a half i didn't have much of the experience of the world and one of the first things i remember saying to my uh, uh, co-founder mark is great we've got a company now and i thought like the first thing i turned turn around and say how do you do sales and and you know so th- th- that was the basic you know we didn't know anything you know i hadn't evolved much from my 19 year old setting up a company we were still mm-hmm. fundamentally we were still fundamentally about product etc in fairness i mean this time over for the company we had a little bit more leg work on it and actually that's where the hedgehog lab name comes from um so i was thinking about it a lot and actually the first iteration of the company was as a software products company where we effectively wanted to sell a software product into the financial services sector because that's the industry i was working in um but the problem is when i set up in 2007 i couldn't have chosen a worse time we spent a few months building uh, yeah. a beta uh, we, we, we 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 pitched the product i can't name the bank unfortunately because of confidentiality reasons but one of the big banks we pitched it to the big bank and they were going to buy it and again you know this was second coming and i was like we're going to be billionaires again you know the 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 and this time we had a good product we did all we did all the things we should do we did market research we did customer research we did all the things we should do and we actually you know commercially good but the problem is we launched the product four weeks before the run on northern rock happened and mm-hmm. it it was probably the worst time to launch a product for the financial services sector because nobody was buying all the banks were not buying the insurance companies were not buying etc um so we spent six or seven months launching this product and we had no market so we just sat there going well like what are we going to do because nobody wanted to buy it nobody i mean mm-hmm. it, it wasn't it wasn't just banks if you remember 2008 a lot of financial services even normal businesses were you know really struggling uh, because of the because of the downfall of the recession etc um and while we were kind of holding our heads we had one of my ex clients i used to work with um who came in and you know we 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 run out of money i used all my savings up you know there was no avenue to go forward um and we were just kind of holding our head and one of my ex clients who i worked with at think came to see me and he said hey sarath you know look um i got a bit of a problem we're building the software products it's not going really well 
um, I need somebody as a consultant. I trust you, you know, because you were on my project for, for one and a half, you know, one and a half years or so. Um, you know, I know you, you're good for it. Can you come in and do some consulting to just kind of make sure that they're doing the right thing? And I, mm-hmm. I remember saying to him, I remember I was 25 and a half, 20, uh, naive. I said, uh, Mike, you know, that was the client. And I said, look, we're not in this, we're not in the agency business, Mike. You know, we've got a software product. If you want to buy it, buy it. But, you know, <laughs> we're not in the, we're not in the agency business. And Mike said it was for a month's worth of work. And he said, look, what if I cut you a check for 20,000 pounds? And it just, the penny just dropped there. And I was like, seriously, you're telling me, I mean, 20,000 pounds, basically we were pre-revenue company in the last nine months. We'd earned zero pounds, by the way. And and my wife was like, come on, you know, we're going to lose our house. We need to do something here. So, so inadvertently, we, we didn't plan for Hedgehog Lab to be an agency business. It was supposed to be a software products business, but because this opportunity landed, you know, with us, with Mike, we ended up taking the opportunity and we pivoted to being an agency. But, but like I said, you know, notwithstanding the fact that I'd worked as an engineer in an agency, we had nothing, no background. You know, we, uh, we didn't know how to sell. We didn't know how to forecast. We didn't know, um, just the basic stuff, what we knew was to build great software. And, and for the first few years, we struggled a lot. You know, we were subcontracting for people. We were just, you know, people for hired. You know, we, we just had to learn everything on the job. I learned mm. my sales. I learned my sales experience on the job. I learned my leadership experience on the job, the marketing experience. So one of the things I certainly say to people now is, one of the big mistakes I made when I was that age was I didn't get a mentor. I didn't get a chairman. I didn't get a non-exec, et cetera. And I deeply regret that because the things that I now take so much for granted, you know, the, the day-to-day things, you know, having a Monday financial meeting, having a cash flow, et cetera, none of those things were obvious to me when we were younger. Mm-hmm. So we kind of just made, so when you ask me, how did you get past that? The, the truth is through luck, you know, we, we got lucky. I mean, we, we kept getting lucky every time we made a, every time we make an absolute career ending mistake, we'd get lucky. So, you know, the, the, the great example, uh, you know, the great example was this software product where, you know, we launched at the worst time. We didn't read the market mm-hmm. with the recession um, and we got lucky. Someone turned up and gave me 20 grand. Um, similarly, when we pivoted into, you know, what we're doing right now, mobile apps, and we, we got Jamie Oliver's team reach out to us, you know, and I was, oh, wow. it, wasn't a, it, it wasn't a direct strategy. What, what, what happened was they were desperate. They were running out of time and they had about six or seven weeks to launch this product. Um, and, and, and really every other agency said, there's no way we can do this. There's just simply no way we can launch this product to your market in seven weeks. And, and, and they were desperate. So they didn't choose us because we were in some better or, you know, or, or, or the right choice in, in those years in 2012, 2013. They chose us because nobody else was willing to be stupid enough to come in mm-hmm. to, de- <laughs> to, 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 to deliver this thing in seven weeks. But, but you so, took it on and delivered on it, didn't you? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, 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 that, and since that, that was a big turning point for us when we launched Jamie's 15-Minute Meals, um, it did very well, made millions of pounds and really kind of from 2013 onwards, the company has nearly doubled year on year. Amazing. Wow. How many um, staff have you got now? Because you you've got offices in London, Boston and India as well, haven't you? Uh, yeah. And, and um, even, in, even in Sofia now, we've got a new person. Right. So we've got, I think about, 
in terms of the whole kind of talent pool, we've got about 125 people across across all these offices. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Fantastic. That is a very interesting story. Yeah. But I can't help but sit here and just feel for your poor wife. This <laughs> <laughs> poor lady. She has put up with some things, hasn't she? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean I, 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 and that's only the half of it. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would agree with you there. Yeah, she sounds amazing. So that's fantastic. And like you say, all your hard work has finally paid off. And yeah. So I'd love to use this opportunity to delve more into your leadership skills. Like you were quite frank in that, that you've only spent sort of two years working for someone else. So you didn't learn it in that environment. You didn't learn from someone else. You didn't take a mentor specifically when you started. So you've had to learn a lot of it on the job. Um, leading these teams, driving these teams forward, but whilst having your commercial hat on as well. What sort of leadership style do you have? It's a, it's a really good question because I didn't think for a long time I had a style because, you know, like I said, because I had no framework of reference, you know, I, I, I didn't have any role models, you know. I mean, I guess, you know, in the two years I had, I did have managers, et cetera. But like I said, because of the dynamics and, and, and me being a troubled child, it didn't really, it didn't really, you know, there, there was no learnings there. It was constantly transactional. Um, mm-hmm. a, a large part of my leadership has generally been influenced by, by you know, particularly books and thought leaders. So uh, I founded Hedgehog Lab on the basis of Jim Collins' book, which is Good to Great. Um, and, oh, yeah. and, you know, the, 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 the word hedgehog is, is from that, the hedgehog concept. Um, and I've been hugely influenced by people like Simon Sinek you know, in terms of what he talks about. So uh, I would say my leadership style, the one I would prefer, and I I don't think I'm there, by the way, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, uh, you know, that, that, you know, I'm ready to teach people how to do this, you know, because I'm still on that journey. But the the leadership style that kind of most resonated with me is servant leadership, you know, that that very much uh, the, the writings of David Marquet, you know, the writings of Simon Sinek, you know, it's very much about, you know, that intent-based leadership and that's about, um, you know, the servant leadership style. So, I, I mean, it's, it's a difficult one because I can't speak for myself because I think I'm probably too hard on myself, which comes from my, uh, from, from my Indian parenthood in that nothing's ever good enough. Uh, but, but, but generally, I think, you know, I've been influenced a lot by the, the other way I've learned, but, you know, I have to say this today. The other way I've learned about leadership is by making horrendous mistakes. Every time I'd make a, a like, like, like a really bad mistake, you know, whether it's, uh, uh, whether it's how we treat people or whether it's, you know, misreading somebody's situation, making a bad hiring decision, the way I would do it is, and so my, my lack of a mentor by resolve by my interest in reading, I mean, I read a lot. I mean, I spend between an hour, hour you know, probably an hour plus every day just reading. Um, so every time I, I, I couldn't figure something out and, and, and I was hit by, you know, a kind of a rock, I'd go and find solace in books to say, look, you know, what do the books say about this? You know, how, how, how do I solve, you know, if I couldn't negotiate a big deal, I'd go and read a book and learn how to negotiate a big deal. So that was my kind of, you know, proxy for having a good mentor in those days. Another kind of little side point on that. Now, it sounds like back, way back when, when you were employed, you were a rebel in the office. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of leaders that listened to that bit and thought, 
oh God, I've got someone like that who's clearly meant to be an entrepreneur, but they add so much value to the business. Mm-hmm. We need people like that. How do you think we're best placed to manage and get the best out of people like yourself 15 years ago? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the simplest answer is I don't think you can manage them. But I think the more, <laughs> the, I think the more nuanced answer is, um, uh, I, I think trying to, to, for example, I think they said, for me, a lot of that relationship when I was in that stage, at least my reading of it was, it became very transactional. And I think, you know, sometimes, at least in my business, the way I deal with entrepreneurial people is, uh, it's it's that age, you know age old saying is that you know if I train my people what if they leave and if you don't train them what if they stay kind of thing. Um, I actually actively encourage in my current business, um, you know people have left to do their own thing and I actually actively encourage it because I think you've got to be realistic because if someone has that drive and passion if if you can channel it in the organization then that's great and I think partly that's I think you know for example. One of the ways I try to manage it in my organization is, yes, there are rules and processes, but I, you know, I can allow someone to be an individual, you know, try and, try and almost the adage of rules are supposed to be broken. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of the times in organizations, you know, you have people, and certainly the challenge I faced was rules were not supposed to be broken. And, you know, there was no incentive to, to be proactive and creative. It was you do something like this because that's what your CTO mentioned you should do. That's what your product manager mentioned you should do, et cetera. So I think, you know, having uh, one of the things we use right now is very much like an objectives and key results. So rather than defining the process and saying you should do step one, step two, step three, step four, we just say this is the outcome we want. I don't really care how you achieve that outcome. And I'd like to think that enables people to be entrepreneurial. So for example, if I was told, when I was in the, in the company, that Sarath, I don't care how you achieve the outcome as long as we launch for this customer on the fifth or as long as we make 100,000 pounds of this customer. I would have loved that. I would have loved to be set aggressive goals and mm. said, go and achieve them. Um, yeah. w- w- what stated me was that the goal setting wasn't as important as why didn't you do this? It was very much micromanagement and microtransactional. Um, and, and like I said, it probably was also, you know, if I reflect back, I probably didn't articulate that because I was too young to really say, look, can you just give me the outcomes and leave me to do it? Uh, and so I fought a lot against the process. So I think for me, the, the one way you can harness it is to say not to control how they, someone does something because I think being entrepreneurial is particularly about being proactive and being creative around how you do things. So forget about the how, you know, focus on the why and the what, and hopefully the how will resolve itself. Love that. And I I think think it's clear as well, at your background, you've always been like a blue sky thinker, like even talking about your childhood in India and like, yes, I'm going to Harvard. Yes, I'm going to Stanford. It's clear that you kind of set, these huge goals and I'd be interested to find out about like what do you think has helped make you so successful that's a really difficult one first of all I don't think of myself as successful I think I'm on the I'm on the path journey to be successful and I think you know and I think there's this age-old question of what is success and certainly it's not money for me I've never been really motivated by money you are the CEO, though, of the number one global mobile app agency, though. Yeah. That's success for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it helps my, 
if nothing, it helps my ego. Uh, but, but, <laughs> but I think, but but I think being candid, I think you know, um, I mean, I think sport would still be successful. I, 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 you know, I think I'd be, um, I'd be remiss to say, you know, my upbringing. I think you know, certainly culturally there was a huge focus on excellence in my household. Um, mm. You know, and I think that's largely a pro- thing in the subcontinent. I think there is, a, there is a focus on education. There is a focus on achievement. There is a focus on morals and ethics and, you know, all those kind of things and the way, they, the way we think. So that's helped me, you know, on my journey. The other thing that's helped me is when I was being brought up and, I, you know, I had, had friends that were, you know, multicultural and multi-international, uh, so I had a lot more, you know, open-minded thinking. So you talk about big hairy audacious goals. I think th- those were for me enabled by my parents. They allowed me to think that because rather than say, oh, you know, don't be silly, you know, you can't be a CEO or you can't be those kind of things. It was very much, you know, anything is possible. But also I think, you know, a, a lot of my thinking also evolves from my liberal way of thinking. And I think that's because I had so many, I mean, my, my, one of my best friends when I was growing up was a Russian, you know, it was very much a, a melting pot of different cultures. And, mm-hmm. and I've traveled, you know, I lived in different places. I lived in India, I lived in Dubai, I lived in the UK, et cetera. So it allowed me to really kind of start thinking about the wider world rather than that little cocoon I grew up in. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's been massively influential. Uh, and obviously, like I said, you know, you, you pinpointed this, um, my wife, you know, she's, she's been incredibly, um, you know, I mean, I, I joke with my wife that uh, I, I have the best therapist. I, I pay nothing for any, and in fact, one of your questions somewhere was, how do you deal with stress? I deal with it because I've got a great understanding wife that will patiently listen to me, work through the problems with me, which, which, like I said, probably saved me thousands of pounds in therapy bills. <laughs> what does she do, your wife? Or what do you? Well, she, she, she used to be, she used to be a nurse and I think she's moved on. Um, you know, she used to physically work in uh, cancer care and, 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 and hospital oh, care. Wow. Now, now she wants to retrain as a mental health nurse, which oh, cool. she has my full support because like I said, she's probably had enough training with me. <laughs> <laughs> she sounds like oh, an amazing woman. Yeah, she does. Fantastic. That'd be amazing. Um, so you've, Obviously, you've, you're very, very passionate and very passionate about tech. Um, there's there's quite a lot of kind of noise and, and buzz um, about what is the future of tech. Um, and there's lots of different views and, and opinions um, on that flying around at the moment. Um, I'd be really interested to hear, in your opinion, what you think the future of tech is. Well, I mean, I mean, I think one way I can tell you what I think the future of tech is and the kind of things we're betting at at Hedgehog Lab. You know, we think Hedgehog Lab has always been ahead of the curve in terms of what we think the future of tech is. So, you know, one of the things I remember when we did this, you know, seven or eight years ago, people used to tell me, oh, mobile apps, you know, they're a fad, you know, they'll disappear in two or three years. So it's got a five-year lifetime. Um, you know, one of the reasons why we're the number one mobile app agency is we think mobile is going to be a significant future, you know, in terms of where, you know, where we're going. Um, you know, so certainly technologically, that's where we're going to invest. But I think interestingly, I'd like to talk about the future of tech, not in terms of simply the technology, but, you know, how the industry is being shaped. And one of the things that's unique to us, and like I said, you know, we're 125 people or whatever, but, you know, we are still a boutique, you know, in the, in the, in the scale of 
consultancies and tech companies we are what you would term a boutique you know consultancies are 500,000 20 and one of the things we've always done is take a global view to this because you cannot think about you know the talent only in Newcastle or in Leeds or in London you've got to think about talent and it's particularly relevant to this COVID times um, about talent as being a global asset, you know, I mean, you can you can get the best data science engineer in China. You can get the get the best, um, you know, Python engineers in India. So that's that's been, you know, we made that bet years ago. And you know, even being such a small company, we've got four or five global delivery centers. So I think we're going to see that accelerating trend where it's not going to be an issue of offshoring and onshoring, or, or the conversation is going to move. Into, into this global talent thing and, and you know, with, with things like remote working, et cetera. Mm. So, we, you know, that's, so I think the best way to think about what we think tech is going to do or where tech's going to go is to look at the bets we're making in strategy-wise in our company around the, the platforms we build for, around the way we work and around the kind of people we're hiring. Fantastic. Interesting, so I think there's, um... I mean, with the apps and, and things, I mean, I, I work in um, technology recruitment and that's all I've ever done since I left university and I actually did a business and IT degree myself um, and a short web design course, but that didn't go very well. Um, and, um, and, and actually I've ended up being a bit of a technophobe, but over the last kind of year or so, the, the use of apps for me has skyrocketed as well. And I just think, you know, there's, I mean, like my dad, my dad WhatsApp calls me and, you know, from India and things like that. It's, it's just crazy. I think how, how much more um, and more people are using apps and with like rely on, on apps. It's just, it's crazy. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's definitely got a, a great future ahead. Um, if last question for me, from me, um, if you could change one thing about your life today, what would that be? Uh, so is it is my professional life or just anything? Anything, you know? anything. Well, I'll probably stick to, uh, because personal life, I think that will be a very long answer. So I probably don't uh, have <laughs> you know, too, too, too many regrets as a young person. But I think, uh, but, 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 but I think professionally, I think, you know, I mean, I'd like to focus on professionally because it is something I reflect on a lot. Um, and I certainly don't think it matters, you know, at what stage in life you're successful or where you get to. It's all a journey. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I think I would have been, you know, I would have been more open to mentors and advice. And part of the reason I wasn't was because I was arrogant because I, you know, I got it. I got an innovators visa when I was when I was 19. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely bought into my own, you know, kind of theory that I was this incredible innovator. And I guess all, all, all young people are like that. But I think, you know, I probably would have, would have, would have, you know, sought more mentorship and mm-hmm. engaged with, 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 with people because, you know, certainly the kind of mentors I've got now, you know, if I had them when I was in my twenties, probably would have accelerated my success. Mm. Amazing. I'm glad it wasn't that you didn't do your sort of maths so you didn't get it. (laughs) Well, no, because I think if I'd done my maths, I don't think I would have taken this interesting part to life. For example, I always say to my wife, if I'd done my maths, I'd have probably gone to America. So I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have gone to Southampton. I wouldn't have had all the experiences we've had. So Mm. no, I mean, absolutely, absolutely no regrets there. I I don't regret it. It's so interesting, isn't it? The road that 
life takes for you and and the people that you meet along the way so yeah, yeah super interesting and glad that you didn't so you could be here with us today i me and sandra are really passionate about the tech like giving back to the tech community we've got an office in leeds got an office in berlin we do 30 networking events plus a year and we like to help support sponsor the tech community get involved in anything where we can and we've done a little bit of work up in Newcastle, but I'd be interested to know about your views of like the tech scene up there, how you get involved in the tech community, how Hedgehog likes to give back to the next generation. Yeah, and, and I've, got, I've got a confession to make here in that we probably haven't been as involved or given back as much, you know, in, in, in the last few years as we should have. I think we've mm-hmm. been fairly inward, inwardly focused. I think, you know, when you're building a fast growing company that mm-hmm. that's growing, you know, sometimes triple digits some years, sometimes double digits. I think you can be so obsessed with the internals mm-hmm. and what you're doing. Uh, so we've not really been a great citizen of the community. I mean, you know, for example, I was saying to Captain, if you'd asked me for a podcast two years ago, I'd still say, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I don't Busy. have the time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and I guess everyone's busy, so I don't think busy was a good excuse. I think it was it it, 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 it was a focus on that. So uh, in in the last year and a half, that's changed. So we do the same. We do we used to do a lot of meetups, sponsoring sponsoring meetups. You know, we used to sponsor Rajal Northeast. We've got a great office space, um, doing a lot of those meetups. You know, you know, being a good citizen of 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 the of the community. Um, I think is really important, but I think it's not just the social stuff. We, you know, for example, I used to complain for nearly a decade that we haven't got enough good skilled people coming from the the universities. Um, and I went to a university and I was complaining, and one of the assistant deans said something that absolutely changed my perspective. And and she said to me, "So what are you doing about it?" And 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 actually, that was a very good question because. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a company, I can sit here and complain about universities not producing the right talent, but what were we doing to contribute to making that better? So we've got involved with, you know, uh, the universities regionally, not just around, you know, improving the talent that's coming out of it, but also actually helping them write some of their courses and validate them, etc. So I think companies can do more. I think we can always do more because ultimately it's in our best interest, but it's also good for the community. And the tech scene in Newcastle, compared mm-hmm. to when I moved here, t- you know, 13, 14 years ago, it's absolutely miles, you know, different. I mean, I, I'm sure there's still work to do. I mean, we, you know, we've got to, we, we're not going to compete with Manchester or Leeds, et cetera. Um, but I like to take the optimistic angle in that, you know, it could have been worse. And I think we're, we're leaps and bound ahead of where mm-hmm. we, you know, where, where we were a decade ago. That's brilliant. And I think like your, what you mentioned there about getting involved in rewriting the curriculum is so important because like you say, we can all sit here and moan about it because the amount of times I'll ring up a graduate and I'm like, are you interested in an automation test role? And they don't even know what automation testing is. And I think, oh my gosh, like what are we learning? But, but you're right. Like we need to get involved in helping shaping that to make sure that people finish university and they're commercially ready for the, for the for archives as well. So yeah, love that. And love that you can kind of take on some fact that probably perhaps you didn't do as much before. And it sounds like you were busy, but like right now is all of our responsibility to, to help to help this tech ecosystem. And it's so important. So love that. Um, I would love to finish the podcast then um, 
with a question for you around, I mean, COVID's put a huge spanner in the works for everyone uh, on all of our plans for this year. But I would love to finish that. What are you most excited about right now at Hedgehog Labs? And you personally, what, like, what gets you out of there? What are you looking forward to over the next six, 12 months? Yeah, so, I mean, one of the things that my team said to me is I absolutely delight in a crisis because uh, it, 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 makes me, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm achieving something. <laughs> when, when, things, when, when things are normal, I feel bored. And I mean, that's part of the problem why it was difficult to manage. If everything's going fine, I, I just lose interest. You know, I need mm. to have something to wake up for. And I think certainly COVID has been a really interesting, you know, pro- problem for us. Um, the way it's affected for us personally at Hedgehog Lab is, um, you know, we're seeing what was some of our traditionally strong industries like retail and travel and tourism are really struggling. You know, it's a sad time for a, for a lot of the businesses in that region. Um, and, and obviously, I empathize with a lot of the clients struggling in that space. But what it's allowed us is really to re-energize us to think about, you know, some of the industries where we, we kind of had some experience but didn't really build uh, the muscle in which was around things like financial services, healthcare, some of the industries that have been resilient. So I think we're actually going through a massive realignment in terms of our go-to-market strategy around the client of customers we want to work with. Um, mm-hmm. So that's something that's exciting us. You know, certainly it's almost reshaping the organization, but also, you know, we've gone from all that size to about a five million pound company recently. And, and we, we're working on the next level of evolution. So we just brought a new chairman in. Um, and and we'll be pretty excited about that. Um, and so, so as far as COVID is concerned, I think digital companies, and I know because it's, I'm, I'm quite loath to frame it as a good thing because it certainly is not a good thing for public health. And, uh, and uh, you know, I heard about all the redundancies and the job losses happening just in the last two days. It's a terrible thing. But if I can be selfish for a minute and talk particularly about digital businesses, particularly agencies, I think, what we've seen is there is a real demand uh, to, for technology now. You know, technology mm. is going to solve a lot of the problems. And I don't mean technology just in terms of mobile apps. I mean, I know a friend who's been, who used to build, you know, they used to build digital kiosks um, and they've pivoted to doing temperature monitoring kiosks. And it's, it's created a real um, mm. avenue for them to move into something, you know, a business that was a great business, but didn't really move forward for a long time is now scaling out 10, 20, 30 times. Um, and I think once this settles down, I think it can only be a good thing for the tech industry overall, you know, once once the you know problems yeah. go away. We've got to take lessons from it, haven't we? And be able to adapt and be able to pivot. And I actually, I've got a women in tech podcast. I, was, I had a lady on it this morning and we were talking about like, you've got to be able to, in these situations, find opportunity and light at the end of the tunnel. And the opportunity for us right now is that we've always struggled getting people into tech. But like you say, there's a lot of opportunities that's still going to go on in tech and people um, to be able to sort of like get people to make a change in their career in tech that they might have always wanted to do. Having three months off on furlough, they might have been able to do that course that they've always wanted or learn more about certain subjects. So we kind of just need to, it's an awful time for everyone. Obviously we're always thinking about um, the people whose families have been affected uh, by COVID and what's going on. But I think in business, we have to be able to adapt and, and not just survive, but thrive. And that's clearly what you're trying to do at Hedgehog Lab, which, which is really um, exciting and inspiring. So 
been fantastic having you on the show. Um, I've loved hearing your story. You're clearly so passionate and hilarious. So I've had a, <laughs> I've had a real great time. The good news is I intend to be passionate. I think the fact that I'm hilarious is just a byproduct. I think. <laughs> well, I've loved it anyway. So I've thoroughly enjoyed my afternoon spent with you. So thank you so much, Sarah. If anyone wants to get in touch about opportunities sport speak to you what, what's the best form of content is it linkedin or twitter yeah yeah absolutely linkedin you know i'm sarah Pedro on linkedin i'm sarah Pedro on twitter and um, you can reach you know we can reach me through the through the, through the website of the company people will forward i mean i'd like to think i'm not a big company ceo so i can still get direct emails so <laughs> yeah you know twitter linkedin or or, or, or dive via email really Perfect. fantastic Brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank, thank you very you so much. much. For me. Thank you. <laughs> really enjoyed it. Thank you.